thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Highwire. Today is the Director of Nursing Leadership Series, learning to be good communicators with strong clinical knowledge and leadership skills. Hi and welcome everyone. Thanks for joining me today on the LCS Director of Nursing Leadership Series. This is Sandy Toole and today we're going to be continuing our discussion around behavioral and emotional health. This is part two of a two-part series. During the last podcast, we reviewed three CMS regulatory focus areas, specifically F740, F741, and F742. Just as a reminder, if you listened to that podcast a while back, CMS selected these tags as they are of national concern and were identified based on promoting health equity and the impact of the pandemic on residents' physical and psychosocial needs. Now, our discussion today will address additional behavioral and mental health requirements. Two of these requirements actually fall under quality of care, F689, accidents and supervision. Now, this is as it relates to the safety of individuals with substance use disorder, and then F699, trauma-informed care. The other tag we will review is a resident assessment requirement, 644 and F645, our screening for mental and intellectual disorders. Well, let's take a look at 689 accidents and supervision. As you know, this regulation gets a lot of attention as it pertains to all areas of resident safety, keeping residents safe from falls, injuries, hazards and risks. And I'm sure you all know that this tag is always in the top five or 10 of deficiencies across the nation. I really encourage you to read F689 in its entirety. There is a ton of information in there, especially as it pertains to the guidance of surveyors. Read that in depth and you're going to find a lot of great information in there to help you keep within regulatory compliance. Now, today we're going to take a look at the guidance surrounding substance use disorder. If your community accepts individuals with a diagnosis or a history of substance use disorder, just know that they may be at increased risk for leaving the community to satisfy addictions to alcohol or illegal or even prescription drugs. And you should assess appropriately and have care plan interventions to address this risk. It's your responsibility to know if a resident leaves your building. A resident who discharges from the facility with facility knowledge of the departure, despite facility efforts to explain the risks of leaving earlier than planned would likely be against medical advice or AMA discharge. You're going to want to have documentation in the medical record that shows that you attempted to provide other options to the resident and that you informed the resident of the potential risks of leaving AMA. Documentation also needs to identify the time the facility became aware of the resident leaving or discharging from the community. A resident who leaves the community without staff knowledge of the departure would then be considered an elopement. Examine your policy for identifying, monitoring, 
and managing residents at risk for elopement to include those now with substance use disorder. Make sure they are addressed in your elopement policies. You have the added responsibility to assess whether these individuals have a risk for using illicit substances in the facility, and you must have knowledge of signs and symptoms of possible substance use. You also need to be prepared to address any emergencies related to substance use by maintaining knowledge of administering opioid reversal agents like Narcan. Make sure everybody is CPR certified and trained as appropriate and that you are contacting emergency medical services as soon as possible. Narcan really needs to be added to your EDK. Be sure to discuss this with your medical director. I think this is a really important addition to our emergency drug kits. Evidence should exist that you have provided substance use treatment services, such as access to counseling programs or 12-step programs. If you have an individual who experiences an overdose, the occurrence of an overdose itself does not imply noncompliance only as long as you can show that you took the steps to monitor the individual for whom the substance use is suspected. Remember always using that nursing process, assess, care plan, implement, and evaluate. Now under F699, trauma-informed care, you must ensure that trauma survivors receive trauma-informed, culturally competent care accounting for residents' experiences and preferences to avoid triggers leading to re-traumatization. That triggering part is a really important piece to this regulation. The State Operations Manual provides definitions of key terms including trauma and trauma-informed care. Facilities should identify a resident's history of trauma and cultural preferences by asking the resident about a history of trauma you want to observe the resident, use screening tools and assessments, and obtain social histories and assessment. You have a trauma-informed assessment currently in your EMR, and we are in the process of revising the social services evaluation to include both the trauma-informed care screening tool as well as the substance use disorder screening. So look for that. That will be released soon from the EMR team. After identifying individuals who have experienced trauma, you need to identify what triggers prompt recall of the previous traumatic events. Triggers are highly individual, but there are a few common triggers that you should keep in mind. Things such as sight, smell, sound, and touch. The goal is to identify triggers that may cause re-traumatization of that individual, and they are all individualized and person-centered, as we've said before. There are six guiding principles to creating a trauma-informed care environment. First, you must be able to show that you're providing care that is culturally competent. In addition to racial and ethnic diversity, this also needs to include religious preferences and sexual orientation and gender identity. Second, you want to provide empowerment, voice, and choice. Involve the residents in their care and allow them to speak up about what they want. Third, encourage collaboration by discussing care with residents and encourage them to ask for support. 
Fourth, create an environment that is welcoming and safe, both physically and emotionally. Five, build trust and transparency among staff, residents, and family members. And six, encourage resident involvement in peer support groups. The facility assessment will be used by surveyors to identify resident populations having unique cultural characteristics, including language, religious or cultural practices, values and preferences. When determining non-compliance, surveyors will consider four key areas that include identification of cultural preferences of residents who are trauma survivors, identification of a resident's history of trauma, identification of triggers which cause re-traumatization, and using of approaches that are culturally competent and or trauma-informed. F644 and F645 are the requirements for pre-admission screening and resident review, or as we commonly call it, PASAR. These are not new requirements, but there is an increased focus on compliance based upon the new and revised behavioral health regulations. PASAR is a required element for those communities that admit and care for individuals under the state Medicaid program. PASAR is specific to state Medicaid programs. The level one for PASAR should be completed prior to admission. And most often your new admissions are patients in hospitals. Thus, hospital staff will likely implement the level one process for you. Your hospital partner can certainly improve the timeliness of the PASAR process by activating the level one prior to discharge and could also assist with connecting the level two evaluator with the individual and providing access to medical records. Level two assessments are completed by a state contractor. So any assistance you can get from your hospital partner to get this ball rolling in the right direction is always in your benefit as well as the individuals. You have the responsibility of incorporating the recommendations from the PASAR level two determination and the PASAR evaluation report into the resident's assessment care plan and transitions of care. Further, you must refer all level two residents and all residents with newly evident or possible serious mental disorder or related conditions for a level two resident review. And this is for every resident, any resident, which includes your long-term residents who may have just had a change in their mental health diagnoses. Now, I will say this has tripped up a few of our communities this year during survey when you've got a long-term resident who is suddenly started on a psychoactive medication and ends up with a mental health diagnosis, and we don't trigger and proceed with that level one, level two, uh, especially the level two. So be very cognizant of that. I think this is an area where we could use some support. LCS is revising social service assessment tool in the EMR to include questions directed at PASAR level one and level two completion. And as always, review the critical element pathway for PASAR to further confirm you are in compliance with the PASAR program. 
Thank you for joining me today. I hope you find this information beneficial and will continue to follow us as we provide important clinical information and strategies to achieving regulatory success. I look forward to the next Director of Nursing Leadership Series podcast, and I hope you'll join us next time on Healthcare Highwire. Thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Highwire and the Director of Nursing Leadership Series. 